Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we're going to put the spotlight on breast cancer survivor Beth Bergman who at only 38 years old has had quite the journey. She's going to be participating in her second Susan G. Komen three-day 60-mile walk. Beth is a member of the New England three-day Keepers of the Flame team and she's raised close to $5,000 for her team. She's a wife, a mother, and a veterinarian by trade. Hi Beth, good morning. Good morning, Kendra. How are you? I am very good. I'm very good. Um, so I want to start off at the beginning. So this this past month, August, marked two years since your diagnosis at only 36 years old. Can, tell us your story. And I and I say that because I, we've had a lot of uh, breast cancer survivors on this show. And I'm always interested in figuring out the beginning steps, how they found out, what they felt when they first got that diagnosis, because I think every story really matters to share with our listeners. So tell us how you found out and what went through your mind when you first realized, whoa, this is the real thing. Absolutely. It was obviously a very scary time in my life, Um, but I consider myself very lucky. So um, uh, unlike many breast cancer victims and survivors, I found my mass myself. Um, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I was just sitting, reading a book, doing kind of half-heartedly doing an exam and found a mass that I knew was not supposed to be there. It was very tiny. Um, it was late at night. And so I didn't, I uh, wasn't able to call my doctor until the morning. Um, and I did, and they got me in same day to have an exam and pushed me towards mammogram and ultrasound really quickly. So within, I think, about 48 hours of finding the mass myself, I actually had um, some imaging performed, and within another 48 hours, I had a diagnosis. So it was very, very quick for me, uh, which was, on the one hand, wonderful. Um, Anybody who's been through a cancer journey knows that waiting can be absolutely the worst part of the whole thing. Um, And for me, I was lucky. It all happened very quickly. So I want to ask you about that early detection step because I, I you know, I'm 37 and I try to do self exams all the time, but I'm always afraid that I'm not going to know the difference. And I know that this is probably a, a common thought amongst other women. You know, am I going to know what something abnormal feels like on my body? Like, did you know you knew right away something wasn't right? Because that's my biggest fear is that I'll. I won't realize it or I'll think it's just a pimple or something that is just or a skin tag, something very small. But you think it's something you'll notice. It's something that would definitely stand out. That's such a great question. And I think it is. And the key to knowing is knowing your own body. So sure, if you at, you know, 37 or 38 years old do a breast exam for the very first time, chances are you're not going to have any idea what is normal and what's not normal. And so the key there is to do them regularly um, and do them at different times of the month during your cycle um, because your body changes kind Good of point. frequently yeah. as you go through those phases of your life. Um, and it also changes as you age. And that's a really important part. So um, I can really urge 
women of all ages, even really women and girls, because scary as it is, breast cancer can actually strike at very young ages, um, you know, women in their 20s, early 20s even. So knowing your body right from the very beginning, feel what your body feels like at all times of the month. And if you know that, when something changes, you'll understand what that difference is. For me, it was very obvious. Um, it's possible that I had a little bit of an advantage, um, you know, feeling the bodies of animals, knowing the difference between a mass and something that's, right. you know, no nonsense. Um, but I don't think that's it. I really don't. Um, I think that it, it was just a matter of knowing my own body. And when something changed, it set off an alarm bell and said, this is not the same. Um, and it was worth getting checked out. What were you diagnosed with? What what stage and what was the exact diagnosis you were given? So I had um, a diagnosis of invasive ductal carcinoma, or IDC. Um, and I got very lucky. As I said already, it was stage one, so it was a very okay. tiny mass. Um, it had not spread to the lymph nodes yet, uh, which makes me very, again, very lucky. You'll mm-hmm. notice a theme here as we're yeah, talking. No, I feel very true. lucky. Um, and then I also, in the course of the, my journey, I ended up having uh, two surgeries um, because when they did the first surgery, they ended up finding another area of abnormality of a, a cancer called, or a pre-cancer called DCIS, which stands for ductal carcinoma in situ. Yeah. And what's interesting about DCIS is that it's very, very common, and they don't yet know if all of those diagnoses of DCIS will progress to cancer or won't. It's considered precancerous, but it may or may not progress. Um, but in my case, the finding of it at the first surgery led to a second surgery prior to radiation. How did your family take the news? Um, I know you, you know you have children, you're married. How did your family react when you first realized that you had a diagnosis of breast cancer? Oh, gosh, that was honestly, that was one of the hardest parts. So I found out my the medical care team that I had, who were tremendous start to finish and still are, um, called me, the, the woman who actually finally got the diagnosis from the biopsy, called me late at night. It was about 10 o'clock at night. I was already in bed. Um, and she didn't want to wait, have me wait one more day. And so as soon as she got it, she called. Um, my wife was with me, of course, at that time, and she immediately took over. Um, I was devastated, and she immediately took the phone for me, continued the conversation with the nurse, um, and went kind of into survival mode of, okay, we can do this. What do we have to, you know, what are the steps? How do we get through this? What do we right. do next? And it was, she, it, it, I tend to be the one who does that and plans and makes things happen, and I crumbled, and she just completely took over, which was key. Um, the worst part really was telling my parents, um, you know, they, I'm all, I, despite being 36 or 38, I will always be their little girl. And right. It's hard. They don't think hard. of it. You're, you're their child. You, they, you know, that's not supposed yeah. to happen to you. It's, it's, the, it, everything's out of order in a sense. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So having to tell them and see their faces was, was definitely the hardest part. Um, but then we all switched at that point, you know, I had gotten more used to it and we all switched into, like I said, survival mode of how do mm-hmm. we, all right, let's do it. Let's plan it. Let's write it down. Um, and whatever it takes, we're going to get through this together. Now, aside from going through all this, you know, you were a full-time working woman. You I mean, you're, you're a vet, you're, you're an actual doctor, you know, in your day job, how did this affect your job? You know, I, I know we have a lot of wi- women that listen, you know, that work full time and they're probably afraid to say anything if they if they would get a diagnosis like this. How did you handle that 
with your job and how did your job handle it and your employer handle it um, when you told them? Yeah, a lot of women, and I've heard this many times, a lot of women choose to kind of keep their diagnoses to themselves. They don't necessarily want to share with their employers or their colleagues um, for fear of, uh, I don't know, for fear of lots of things, you know, losing your job, not people not having confidence in you or whatever. Um, and I took the complete opposite tact. I knew that this was not something I could do by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was very open and honest with everybody, my employer, my colleagues, um, and every Everybody that I worked with. And I, again, I say it again, I got very, very lucky. I work with an extremely supportive organization. I work in a very large hospital. There's over 60 doctors, over about 200 support staff. Um, And I just shared with everyone. Um, we changed my role a little bit. I had been initially, before all of this, my major job had been to primarily care for inpatients. It's a, it's a specialty, 24-hour specialty emergency hospital. And so I would care for inpatients. And so it was important to be reliable on time, you know, dependable. And after the diagnosis and during treatment, we switched my role so that I could still be there, still work um, probably, I would say maybe three quarters time, half to three quarters time. Um, but I was, it was in more of a supportive role. So I would help the emergency team uh, with procedures or answering the phones or asking, being there to answer questions so that if I didn't feel well, I had the opportunity to just go home and say, okay, I'm, I'm too tired. I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, I'll see you tomorrow and know that I wasn't letting anybody down by doing that. And I, uh, it was really That's wonderful great. to have a, a system that, yeah, that would let me do that. Do that, so that right. I could keep my brain active, keep my body active, but still be able to say, okay, and now it's, it's time to stop. So. Right. No, you are very lucky. I mean, that's, and that's fantastic that that they allowed you to do that and that you didn't feel like you were letting, again, and you're not letting anybody down either way, but in your mind, it eases your Mm -hmm. mind to know that everything's fine. Everything's fine Mm -hmm. and everything can be handled. Well, if you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. And we've been talking with 38-year-old breast cancer survivor, Beth Bergman. She's sharing her journey with us and talking about the Susan G. Komen three-day, 60-mile walk, which is happening here in Boston this coming weekend. Let's get back to our conversation. Um, So you're participating in the Susan G. Komen three-day. Um, this is your second time, is that right? Second time doing yes. this this walk? Yes, yeah, second time. Mm-hmm. So sixty miles, that's a that's a long that's a long hike. <laughs> I mean and it it's is, that's amazing. It's so what, fun. What um and I and I noticed the name of your team, the keepers of the flame. What's what's the meaning of that? Of the team oh, name? I'm- I'm so glad you asked that. So the team name, I came up with the team name with a friend of mine who's also a survivor. Um, we were just brainstorming back and forth. What are we going to call this team? And what we came up with is the idea of a lighthouse. So as survivors, as women who have gone through this, um, we are joining together and acting like a light in a lighthouse, shining out into the darkness so that other women who are going through this journey, just starting halfway through, almost finished, can look up and see that there is a light at the end. There is somebody shining a light, making it easier for you to go through it. And our motto is the more we unite, the brighter this light. So the more we come together as a community, the brighter the light gets and we can engulf everybody in that light so that they know they're not alone in this process. That's awesome. And this this is actually the first time in five years that 
this walk has finally come back to the New England area. I know they try to spread it out throughout the country. Did you, have you only done it here in Boston or have you done the walk in other areas of the country as well? So last year we walked, that was our first time last year we walked in San Diego, which was beautiful. San Diego in November was a lovely place to be. (laughs) I'm sure it was. I (laughs) know. Certainly better than New England in November, but it was beautiful. And then as we finished, and we learned that it was going to be in New England um, this coming year in 2019. It was a no-brainer. We absolutely have to do it. Um, obviously, I live here uh, in Wilmington now. And so being able to invite my friends um, from all over to come and do the walk in what is now you know, kind of considered my hometown. I've been here long enough that I feel like right. Massachusetts is home was just the best thing. I'm super excited. And then I, I, our plan, we're going to continue on. We're going to keep walking hopefully every year. And I think we're going to jump cities and see what the world has to offer, so to speak. And, and in doing so, stay within this beautiful pink bubble of support and love and hope of, you know, all the Komen walkers and volunteers. What can first-time walkers or participants expect or first-time team members expect? If, they haven't, if they've never done the three-day before, what can they expect for the day or for the three days when they come? Blisters. blisters blisters but that (laughs) is so funny it's true but not but not the only thing so the thing that amazed me blew me out of the water was the support it was literally every time you turned a corner there were complete strangers cheering you on telling you that you're awesome telling you that you know you're amazing and congratulations and they love you And it was like nothing I've ever felt before. Being surrounded by people with a unified purpose of raising money, raising awareness. You know, what's crazy, and I I hope people have heard this statistic, and perhaps they haven't, one in eight women are affected by breast cancer Mm -hmm. in their lifetimes. That's insane. What that means is that there (laughs) there is no woman out there who doesn't know somebody with right. breast cancer. And I saw another one too. I was going to mention this to you that every two minutes, every two minutes, one case of breast cancer is diagnosed in a woman in the United States. So, yeah. I mean, that's that math is just astonishing to me. It's really, it is just so common and it's it's so unfortunate that it's so common. But again, the light at the end of the tunnel is that you have that outpouring of support when you go to yes. do a walk like the Susan G. Komen three day and you see the people cheering you on. And I think it's just remarkable. It really is. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's the love, it's the support, it's the beauty, it's the pink. Um, and it's also the money. It mm-hmm. is, you know, if you know anything at all about medical research, you know that it is expensive. Um, and it's expensive because things fail, ideas fail. And so you can have idea after idea after idea, you pour money into it, and then you discover that it doesn't do what you hope it does. And so I, I actually, again, I feel very lucky. So I had a type of breast cancer that was positive for a protein called HER2, H-E-R, the number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of my treatment, I received a drug called Herceptin. Now, Komen is responsible for raising, I believe the number is over $32 million or wow. contributing $32 million to the purpose of developing Herceptin and bringing it to market for women with this type of cancer. Wow. And in doing so, this drug has dramatically reduced the incidence of recurrence and improved survival on these patients. Prior to this medication, Herceptin, women who were HER2 positive had a significantly worse prognosis and were far more likely to die of their disease. 
And all of that, much of that is due to the money from Coleman and many others, of course. Right. Um, But I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, when they when they hear any kind of organization, any kind of charitable foundation that the money you're donating money it's going to go to research or medical research people want to do it they want to donate but I think there is some hesitation they don't know does it really help is it really going to the research and are there really results and I think what you just said your story directly affecting you I, I mean the money the the money that's been raised directly affecting you and your health and your body helps mm-hmm. people believe that it, it is going somewhere. Your money is actually helping people. It is. And the wonderful thing about Komen as well is that it's not just research. They put money towards every part of this process, towards community support, towards diagnosis, towards um, you know providing uh, subsidized medical care for women who can't afford it. There is mm-hmm. so many aspects of this organization that I can guarantee you your money is going to go somewhere to help someone. Um, right. And there are both local and national chapters, of course, of Komen. Um, and so it is It is so inspiring to be part of both the walk, where everybody is telling you that you're awesome every five seconds, right. which of course, yeah. who doesn't love that? Um, but just in general, just to, you know, read about the the organization and be involved and help, you know, and, and ask my friends to say, hey, please support this. This is important. And it's not about me. Um, yes, mm-hmm. this saved my life, but this is not about me. This is about all of us. Well, I want to give the uh, website out and I also want to let our listeners know we're going to put a direct link to Beth's team page. So if you want to donate to her team, you can do that. We'll put that right up on magic1067.com. But so the three day, the Susan G. Komen three day walk, it's happening right here in Boston. It's September 6th through the 8th. And you can get all of the info on their website. And it's the three day.org and you use the number three don't write it out so the three day.org if you want to get info there um and you know we're almost out of time but i i want to ask you just in general how far do you think the research in general for breast cancer has come do you think because you've gone through it do you think that we've made progress there absolutely Absolutely. I will tell you, you know, obviously, when I got my diagnosis, I was devastated. And all I could think was, this is a death sentence. I'm not Mm going to get to see my son grow up. And it was, you know, devastating right from the very beginning. And then as I started to read about it and understand more and join some communities online and talking to people out there who've been through it, this is not necessarily a death sentence, especially with early detection. If you find these things early mm-hmm. and you are aggressive with your care, so being your own self-advocate, knowing your body, talking to your care teams, um, and being uh, proactive, this is not a death sentence. And women live as survivors of breast cancer for decades, um, and that is that is key. What was there one specific thing? Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was just a motto. Something that you kept in your mind. The one thing that sort of kept you positive through the entire fight, through treatment, through anything, was there something that you did or that you thought of, maybe a song you listened to, anything that kept you positive through the fight? I love this question. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there are so many times when you don't want to be positive and you want to curl I'm up and sure. take a nap and, and shut out the world, which is okay. Um, it was part of it. But uh, I... I'm going to give you two. I don't think I can give you one. So the two things that I think kept me positive and going through this, one is that people who I thought were just acquaintances, people I knew barely, 
turned out to be far more than acquaintances. They mm-hmm. offered, you know, they brought my family food. They helped drive me to chemo. They were supportive, checking in, but not being oppressive. I mean, it, it just blew me away that people can be so compassionate with, with you know, people they barely know. Right. And that certainly helped. And then the other thing, honestly, is that we just tried desperately to have fun um, and laugh at ourselves because you can't, you have to, you have what to laugh at What else are you going to do? Right, right. Exactly. And so I, <laughs> my first chemo treatment was actually on Halloween. And so my best friend flew up from Georgia. My wife came and the three of us showed up to the oncology department on Halloween in full superhero costume. Oh, I love and that. I, I had <laughs> I love it. chemo. Right. So I had chemotherapy in a Wonder Woman costume. And, you know, what could be better than that? <laughs> like, see, now I love that because, you know, for me, if I were somebody else going through treatment and I was sitting there and I, you know, was feeling sad or feeling, you know, depressed or upset and I saw you come in, you know, in a costume or just having a, a better sense of humor about it, it would make me laugh. It would actually make me think, OK, you know what? Maybe it's not going to be bad. Maybe maybe it will be fine. You can't. What else are you going to do but be positive? It's it's the only way I would think. I can only imagine to to get through it, you know, yeah. personally. Yeah. Well, what? Um, well, how are you doing, by the way, today? Oh, actual today. I am, I am great. So I am, as you said, I'm two years post-diagnosis. I am about 18 months or 16 months past all treatments. Um, and I'm fully clean and clear because of my age um, and the type of cancer that we found. Basically, my I get screened every six months, switching between mammogram and MRI. Um, we didn't talk about that, but the, there are differences in the in the diagnostic tools that you can use for women depending on your age. Um, and so, for me, because of my age, I have to switch back and forth between those two diagnostics. And I had my last MRI a couple of months ago, and it was clean as a whistle. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's such great news. Well, before, yes. right before I let you go, if we have women listening right now, or men um, who have just gotten the diagnosis of breast cancer, they've, they've just found out within the, the, the last couple of days, and they don't know what to do, they don't know how to feel, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to them right at this moment where they are feeling maybe unsure, overwhelmed, and scared? What would you say to them? Breathe. The most important thing is to just breathe and take a moment and recognize that, especially if you're here in Massachusetts, you're in one of the best healthcare systems in the country um, and just breathe through it. Know that you can do this and learn about your disease. Read reliable sources on the Internet. Be very careful of chat rooms and such. Um, But Mm -hmm. Breathe through it. Be your own self-advocate. Ask your care team about the choices that are being made so that you understand it. Um, And don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, As I said, I found out that there were lots of people out there who wanted to help me, and I wouldn't have expected it. And it's okay to ask for help. Well, I've loved hearing your story, Beth, and I think that you and your message of positivity, and I know that not everybody can do that, but I think it's so important to share that and to to show that, you know, it's scary and it's it's awful and you don't know what's going to happen, but you have to try to be positive and think, okay, what do we do? Let's move. How can we how can we act and how can we get out of this successfully? So, thank you so much for sharing your story. We appreciate it so much. 
Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Well, to plug the event one more time, so it's the Susan G. Komen three-day, and it's happening right here in Boston. It's September 6th through the 8th, and if you want more info, you can go to the3day.org. Use the number three. We're going to put a link up on our Magic Facebook page, on our website. We'll also put a link to Beth's team, the Keepers of the Flame, and you can donate directly to her as well. Beth, thank you again so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you to Beth Bergman for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk to celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Email us if you know someone you'd like to suggest. We'd love to hear from you, and be sure to join us every Sunday morning at 7.30 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Thanks for listening, and have a great day, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.